and welcome to the very first episode of a brand new podcast that we are going to call The Hitchhiker's Guide to Scottish Literature. I'm Vicky Riley. And I'm Christian Kerr. And we both work for Berlin Limited, which is um, one of Scotland's leading independent publishers and specifically a leading publisher in Scottish interest titles. And we've decided to get together to do this podcast to celebrate everything uh, about Scottish literature, past, present, future, travelling the highways and byways. So in today's podcast, uh, we are talking about Burns's poems, chiefly in the Scottish dialect, the Kilmarnock edition. And Christian and I will be talking about the, 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 the poems. We will also have an interview with Chris Watley, who is one of Scotland's leading historians, and he has just written a book on Burns's afterlife called A Mortal Memory, Burns and the Scottish People. That's right, yes. And all throughout the, the podcast, we will also have readings of Burns' poems by the very wonderful William Letford, who is a fantastic Scottish poet and a brilliant performer of his work. He has published two collections called Bevel and Dirt with Carcanet. Yeah, we're tremendously grateful to both Chris yes. and to William for their help. But so the Kilmarnock edition was published in 1786 when Burns was 27 years old. It was his first publication. It was his first foray into the public sphere. Um, He was well known within his uh, home area of Ayrshire and the Kilmarnock edition was sponsored by a lot of the great and the good. So therefore, um, a lot of the poems are about the country um, and and celebrate a lot of the Ayrshire countryside. So it was really a local a local project um, and some of the some people had some but Burns's poems had been circulating amongst his friends. Yes, yes. Um, for a few years prior to this. Yeah. So we read the Kilmarnock edition over the Christmas holidays and um, my first well not my overall impression of the collection as a whole um, the thing that I was struck with right from the beginning was, um, one, what a fantastic storyteller Burns is within his poems. Um, And two, how much audacity there there was in the poems as well. Um, As an opening statement to the world of who you are and the the intent behind your poems, it's pretty masterful. Mm. And um, I, I, I can't believe that he got away with and not only did he get away with saying some pretty audacious things, <laughs> or did he get away with it? He, well, he was celebrated for them yeah. initially, and we'll come to that, um, uh, you know, presently. Um, I think also, you know, we could say something at this point about the shape of the collection and the sheer yeah. variety mm. of its content. Um, in that uh, he use it you know that there's just uh, there's narrative poems as you said and poems about uh everyday life in Ayrshire um but also he's a little um, bit of a folklorist as well so you absolutely. find out a lot about the customs and traditions of the place he writes really coruscating uh political, political poems yeah um and then there and there's a whole range of moods as well. So you have the energetic, angry, but with an element of cheek and joy. You have poems where he really is in the depths of despair about 
his life, about the place of the people around him, the farmer's lot, the poor people's lot, um, even in personal poems to his friends. Yeah, so intimate epistles. Yeah, um, where, you know, you, you've got poems where he is wondering out loud whether he should even be a poet, why he's even choosing the artistic life. But but there's also, you know, um, really specific poems with really specific purpose. Yeah. You know, a poem about um, levying excise <laughs> yeah. on Scotch whiskey, <laughs> yeah. you know. A cause um, close to his heart. <laughs> yeah, and what what happens is the, the, the general and the particular sort of you know from from these very particular moments he always or incidents he draws um such resonant Mm. uh sort of general and conclusions and memorable with really memorable phrases so the Kilmarnock edition um opens with this quite astonishing preface um, written by Burns himself, so it's not just poem um, poetry. He opens with this prose preface where he introduces himself, and the amazing thing is, is he introduces himself as this naive farmhand who who doesn't who who thinks of himself as tremendously lucky to be writing this collection, um, and, and and it's very self-effacing. Yes, isn't it? yeah. Like it's quite a it's a it's a sort of deferential way, um, or maybe self-deprecating. Well, they I, can sometimes be quite close together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he he opens the preface by calling the collection um, uh, a collection of trifles yeah. rather than really amazing poems, and then bangs on about how he, he doesn't know anything about the poetic tradition in this and in, in, in absolutely he says that um you know uh he he sort of invokes the tradition of pastoral and he says that um classical learning like the poems of the great authors of Greece and Rome are a fountain shut up and a book sealed mm-hmm. which is actually a biblical reference anyway so <laughs> so already he's contradicting himself absolutely there's this sort of play with illusion um, there um, so and he lulls us all in with this notion mm. that he is just this capped off in yeah. um, farmer who's just picked up a pen by chance. And I suppose, although I suppose there's something daring about the title poems chiefly in the Scotch, Scottish dialect. Chiefly is quite a, you know, that might be off-putting to some readers. <laughs> so Scots is sort of front and centre there. And um, then um, he wrongfoots us all again with the very first poem after the preface and it is absolutely, you know, wallops is in the face with his learning and his intelligence and his cheek and his energy and his classical illusions and his nods to other satirists in, this, in, in, in a similar tradition. So therefore, the preface then takes on a notion that it's a little bit of an in-joke, which I quite like. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and that first poem is The Twa Dogs. Yeah. Fantastic poem, as I say, full of energy, uh, full, full of angry energy, but anger, but not a bit. For some reason, it's not a bitter anger, even though it probably stems from quite a bitter anger. It's a, it's a tale of two dogs from very different stations in life. We have the Newfoundland pedigree gentleman's dog, yes, <laughs> called Caesar. 
And then we have the border collie called Lewis, who's the farmer's dog. And they're pals and they gallop about the fields and things like that. And then they settle down and have a conversation about life, life, the universe and everything. (laughs) 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 But, you know, as as we say, he he invokes pop, he invokes uh, the, the, the tradition of the... The, cl- the classical pastoral? Yes, absolutely. The classical pastoral t- tradition, which, you know, so Virgil's eclogues would be a dialogue between two uh, shepherds, right? often. And they would be talking in their rural idyll, um, but often about politics and life. Yeah. You know, pastoral is not about green fields and gambling lands. <laughs> it's just like Burns' poetry, so often about the hardships of rural living, yeah. but also its rhythms and its joys. And you would think, because it being presented as a, a dialogue between two opposites, um, that all your sympathy would be with Lewis and not Caesar. <laughs> but Caesar is such a sympathetic character because he himself recognises how amazing his bosses have got it how they spend their their days carousing and eating and yeah that you're exactly right there there's a sort of distancing effect yeah because they're both animals they Mm. are both just dogs (laughs) for even though they live in different houses yeah (laughs) um and it is a sort of conversation it's like tell me about your life It brings a smile to your face, uh, a little, you know, raising of the eyebrows at some of the cheekier things that Burns comes out with, because he puts them in the words of Caesar as well as more so than Lewis. Absolutely, because Caesar, Caesar as a gentleman's dog, goes everywhere. He's, yeah. you know, he's he's got this perfect perspective <laughs> on the inner life of everything. Yeah, um, it's like the secret life of pets. And did you know um, that Burns himself had a collie called Lewis? I did not know that. I mean, his uh, description of Lewis here is really funny. Right, the the he says the tither was a ploughman's collie, a rhyming, ranting, raving Billy, <laughs> <laughs> which is like me. <laughs> Maybe not the rhyming. <laughs> To a louse. Ho, oh, where you gone, you crowling fairly? Your impudence protects you sairly. I can't say, but you strut rarely our gauze lace. Though faith, I fear you dine but sparely on such a place. You ugly, creeping, blasted winner, detested, shunned by Satan's sinner. How dare you set your foot upon her, such fine a lady? Go somewhere else and seek your dinner on some poor body. Swith, in some beggar's hoff at squattle, there you may creep and sprawl and spur with other kindred jumping cattle and shows and nations, where horn nor bane nor dare unsettle your thick plantations. Now hod you there, you're out of sight, below the frattle snug and tight. Na faith, ye yet, you'll no be right till you've got on it. The very topmost towering height a missy's bonnet. My sooth, right bald ye set your nose out, as plump and grey as any groset. Oh, for some rank mercurial roset or fell red smedum, I'd gie ye such a hearty dosiet with dress your drodum. I wouldn't be surprised to spy 
you own an old ice flannin toy, or Abel's some bit duddy boy on Union's wily coat. But Missy's fine Lenardi fie, how dare you do it? Oh, Jenny, didn't toss your head and set your beauties a bread. You little ken what cursed speed the blast is making. They winks and finger ends I dread are notice taken. Oh, what some power the gift of gears to see yourselves as others see us. It would free many a blunder free us and foolish notion. What airs and dress and gait would lead us and even devotion. One of the great things about To Allows that I think that I haven't read for a long time or if even at all is just how crawly, creepy crawly it is, <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm... Uh, are we to think that this really happened or not? Well, see, that's the look. No, that that's the thing um, that goes back to the the thing that I said right at the very beginning, which we've not um, really talked about yet, was his talent as a storyteller. Yes, um, narrative. He, yeah, the way he manages to set a scene and then uh, and then get the whole story continuing. Yeah, is really amazing. And and in two allows you can picture him behind this woman in a pew in a really stony, cold church and this woman's, you know, a couple of pews down from him with her fancy hat on and he's sitting there <laughs> watching this louse just crawling all about her, her fine yeah. hair and these bits of net that are on her fancy hat and just sort of having a wee chuckle to himself. Yes. And yes. And, and it has just, I mean, it has such a good opening as well um, because unlike To A Mouse and... Um, the to the mountain daisy as well mm. which sort of begin with an address right. to the thing you know yeah. a, a sort of something that is almost like an ekphrasis like it's like i see you this is very different and he goes ha where are you <laughs> going you crowling furly <laughs> you, you can, know I, I mean i don't know <laughs> if i'm just you know you know, looking too much into it, but you can feel the joy. You can feel the, the his joy in the cheek of the mouse. Oh, the loud. Sorry. Yes. And, but then he says also, um, you know, uh, he he's like, I cannot say, but ye strunt rarely o gauze and lace. Though faith, I fear ye dine but sparely on sicker place. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, uh, you know. There's something sort of... I mean, it's really intimate. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's sitting there behind her thinking about, like, the louse in her hair and it's like... And the per- and you can smell the sort of perfume from her because she's she'll be over-perfumed being a lady and then he's thinking of right. all the... the yeah. <laughs> The dirty poor folk that are like, what are you doing? You'll get more food if you're mm-hmm. if you're running about us. <laughs> Eat ugly, creeping, blast it, wanna. <laughs> Particularly to a mouse and to a louse, they are intensely political poems, but at the same time, those poems, it's easier to separate the pure politics from them to make them out to be a sort of more general philosophy rather than yeah. this is specifically talking about the, sit- the political situation of the time. So I can understand why those ones have maybe lasted or, or are just more in the consciousness than ones like The Dream. And about like To a Mouse as well, mm-hmm. which is really famous and everybody thinks is a joyful, you know, a happy little poem about a mouse. Yeah, yeah. Ha ha! Because, you know... At school, as I say, you only got ta- taught how to do the first verse. <laughs> <laughs> what a sweet little mouth. <laughs> yeah. And then you read on 
are you and it's it's actually a really sad poem absolutely and you you can picture him looking at this mouse at first feeling pity and common feeling with the mouse Mm -hmm. and then he ends it feeling you know thinking about his place and his station so much that he feels that the mouse has got a better life than he has you know he then doesn't he stops identifying with the mouse and starts wishing that he was the mouse. Because the mouse isn't worried about the future. And that's... That's really heartrending. To a mouse. We sleek it, cowering, timorous beastie. Oh, what panics in thy breastie. Thou did not start away so hasty with bicker and brattle. I would be loath to run and chase thee. We murder and paddle. I'm truly sorry man's dominion has broken nature's social union and justifies that ill opinion which makes thee startle at me, thy poor earth-born companion and fellow mortal. I doubt no wiles but do me thieve. But then, poor beastie, thou man live. A demon occur in a thieve is a small request. I'll get a blessing with the lave. And never missed. Thy wee bit housey, too, in ruin. It's silly was the winds are strewn, and Nathan, now, to big a noon, a foggage green, and bleak December winds ensuing, be snell and keen. Thou saw the fields laid bare and wast, and weary winters coming fast, and cosy here beneath the blast. Thou thought to dwell, till crash, the cruel coulter passed out through thy cell. That wee bit heap of leaves and stubble has cost thee many a weary nibble. But now, thou's turned out for all thy trouble. But who sir hod to though the winter sleety dribble and cranroch called? But mousy, thou are no the lane, and proven foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes of mice and men gang after glee and leave us not but grief and pain for promised joy. Still, thou art blessed compared with me. The present only toucheth thee. But oh, I backward cast my ee on prospects drear and forward, though I canna see, I guess in fear. So, and now we come to the section of the podcast that we call a word from our sponsor. So we're using this section to celebrate the backlist and the frontlist of um, Berlin. Um, today we're going to be talking to uh, author Christopher Watley about his um, recent publication, The Immortal Memory, Burns and the Scottish People. And he's going to be talking to us about Burns' afterlife. First of all, Chris, mm-hmm. you have written this book, A Mortal Memory, about Burns' afterlife, mm. which, you know, has been long and quite controversial as well. Mm. It seems that everybody has claimed him as their own, lots of different factions throughout yeah. history since his death. Why do you think um, it's Burns that has um, found himself smack bang in the centre of Scottish cultural consciousness? 
That's a fascinating <laughs> question. Not just, just in Scotland yeah, as yeah, well, yeah, in the world. Just around the world, yeah. yeah. It is a fascinating question and a, and, and a big question. I think basically um, it's because Burns, even in his own lifetime, um, became began to become a superstar in, in terms of uh, being a literary hero, if you like, for mm. Scots. But but he was more than a literary hero, as, as, and I'll go on and explain, explain that. But the thing is that Burns, um, Burns was so popular. Um, the Kilmarnock edition comes out, then there's the Edinburgh edition. Um, but I think much more important in terms of getting his work out there was 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 were single copies of poems that mm. were were circulated, chapbooks um, which were small cheap um, publications which were enormously common in the from the second half of the 18th century in Scotland to the And did anybody century. just do those? You know, like copyright yeah, issues. Yeah, when copyright, you know. were, yeah, well, this is it. They got away with murder in yeah. that in that sense, and so they could take single poems and or, or two or three poems and publish them in these very, very cheap formats, which meant that Burns was accessible to the, anyone who could read. And indeed in Scotland, as we know, literary level literacy levels were, were higher than, than, than in some other parts of Europe, many other parts of Europe. And so um, we had a, a society of relatively ordinary people who could read and who could read Burns. And Burns is... So there's, so there's Burns' accessibility, accessibility, and there's also what he was saying and how he was saying it mm. um, and um, he was dealing with current issues we've talked about the qua dugs um, he used um, images and, and 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 examples that were recognizable in to, 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 to many lowland Scots yeah. or to most lowland Scots he used language which we, we, we talk about the familiarity of his language his use of, of Scots dialect um, of course, and not all of his poems were in, were, mm. were in Scots, but um, I, th I think that was an enormous appeal too because he, he used word forms and rhythms which I think yeah. were, 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 were familiar to people. Um, we can, you can exaggerate that because apparently, um, you know, uh, while he, he he used Ayrshire dialect and that wasn't necessarily familiar in Roxburghshire yeah, to, to, right. to people in Roxburghshire, but over time that that his his his, his language and, and, and usage of, of words and phrases becomes universally understood, if you like. But there's also his ideas, mm. um, which were uh, were in a sense revolutionary, or if they weren't revolutionary, they were revolutionary as spoken by. Burns. Scotland was an enormously unequal society. Mm -hmm. um, it was a society at the end of the 18th century, early 19th century, which was dominated by an enormously powerful landed class. Yeah. Um, ordinary people had little say. They were, the, the electorate in Scotland was tiny. I think it was much less than, than 1% of, mm. of the population. So to have Burns um, in poems like A Cot of Saturday Night... It, it sneaks in there ideas of equality and the value and, and, and respect which should be accorded to ordinary people. Um, but then in songs like A Man's A Man for All That, yeah. um, which is basically Thomas Paine, Rights of Man in song, <laughs> um, was just incredible because because Burns was seen to be and was himself an ordinary man, to have an ordinary man in language people understood speak these tremendous or, or, or articulate these these tremendous values and ideals was 
as I say, transformational mm. uh, over over time. And the interesting thing about Burns, for me actually, and what I discovered writing that book, which I didn't expect to discover, was that Burns became increasingly popular as um, an important for the Scots. The longer mm. his afterlife went right. on, and the other, and the last thing in terms of his importance and why why he appeals so much, was that he did represent something called Scotland and Scottishness. Burns put Scotland as something of value back onto the political mm. agenda, if you like. I think that one of the things that the book does uh, so so well is identify um, all the different constituencies mm. of um, people yeah. and groups mm. that were interested in Burns um, across the 19th and 20th centuries and how they um, organised themselves. Mm. Uh, and I was surprised... Um, at to and and fascinated to read um, about the conservative yes. efforts in yeah. the early nineteenth yes, century. Yeah. Can yeah. you say something about some of those, or well, just what the, you found particularly interesting? Well, I, I think I think re- reinforcing the point um, that we made that we were talking about earlier about Burns's enormous impact immediately that that mm-hmm. that was that was so that was one of the reasons why in the first instance Scotland's Tories or Conservatives wanted to uh, wanted to to manage Burns's legacy, mm. if you like, because they were be- the first ones. They, they were to, the first, yeah. yeah. And because Burns basically, given the the, the opening poem and in, 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 in command, I can't get my head around. Dogs. So that's that's dangerous. That that can yeah. be read radically. Mm-hmm. Cotter Saturday Night um, is at first sight, you know, a paean of praise to 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 the stoical Presbyterian. Virtues. Humble, virtuous, <laughs> virtuous Scottish uh, Cotter family, um, but within it are the, mm. these re- remarkable co- toxic lines actually yeah. about about princes and peasants, and you know, or, or comparing their dwellings and, and arguing that there's not much difference. Well, there shouldn't yeah. be a, a difference between them. So it's it's a dangerous poem, and so that is why the, the Scotland's conservatives at this time, which is late eighteenth, early nineteenth century, when Europe is in undergoing revolution, mm-hmm. when in Scotland you have, sorry, yeah, in Scotland, yes, you have the emergence of, of radicalism, you have chartism, um, and, and enormous um, nervousness, if not fear, anxiety, neurosis on the part of the, the, the landed classes, the established order, uh, for its future, for, it, mm. for its security. And Burns, therefore, cannot be allowed to allowed to to get free, <laughs> yeah. um, and so they they, they sort of try to to marshal his memory basically by by um, while holding the celebration the the eighteen forty four festival in the air, which was about uh, you know it, it was to honour Burns's sons and Burns's memory, mm. but it was also about. Um, Preaching the message of uh, social stability on the basis of the Cotter Saturday night. Yeah. That, that if Scotland's uh, ordinary agricultural peoples uh, followed the Cotter Saturday night example, <laughs> all would be well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I can't. This is I can't get my head around how you know he 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 wrote these radical poems in the in the Kilmarnock edition, his first mm. foray into mm. you know public life. Yeah. The, Edin- the, the establishment people from Edinburgh fated him, brought mm. him into Edinburgh. Yeah. Then later on, you know, mm. shunned him a little yeah, bit. Yeah. He ended up in penury in Dumfries. Yeah. Yeah. And yet then, after he died, 
they were the very same people who decided that it was that they needed to to take care of his legacy and take care of his yeah, sons yeah, and yeah. and set, I, I just the the just the contradictions there, there are well I mean I think Burns becomes toxic and so many of his former patrons and and, and um, friends in inverted commas uh, turn turn their backs on him mm. um, because because of the French Revolution basically but very even very quickly after he died. Um, you you find criticisms um, of the fact that criticisms of Scotland's aristocrats and the great and the good who had turned their back on him. Um, so I think in 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 days after his death, it's uh, one of the Irish newspapers um, writes a pretty scathing uh, attack on Scotland's aristocracy. Well, let's yeah. call it the column that of the landed classes, the establishment for ignoring Burns, allowing him to die in the conditions he did, and so some, much much of that, um, at least part of that memorialisation activity that's taking place in the eighteen tens, twenties, thirties, and forties, um, is about um, making good this wrong. Yeah, yeah, it is raging guilt exactly, um, and sometimes that. Sometimes those people involved make that point that they they, they recognise that they so need they to do this. So they said that at the time yes, as well. Yes, yeah, ah, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Well, there is a, there is a big debate um, about how political Burns was, mm-hmm. um, as you as you probably know, um, and there are those relatively few Burns serious Burns scholars who argue that Burns was much more radical than 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 than. You know, if you like, that received wisdom yeah. suggests. Um, like, I, I think, that, I think um, that Burns is a Burns is a poet. We've got to remember yeah. always that Burns is a poet. Burns poets speak with many voices. Burns yeah. have, but you know, mm. they can draw, they can write about many things and many topics. And and what a poet says in a great poem isn't necessarily a political manifesto. Mm. It can be read as such, but it doesn't necessarily what the poet. And re- 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 really think. So, um, can you say a little bit about the Dumfries uh, statue, which was uh, unveiled in 1882, yes. but was sculpted by Amelia Hill? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm just fascinated by how um, the Burns sort of cult, as it were, or all the activities mm. that memorialised and celebrated Burns seemed to be a male, predominantly a sort of male or homosexual yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, concern. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and how how women, you know, you, this is a thread in, in the book, yeah. you, mm. you um, draw attention to the fact that often women were drinking tea and eating cake yeah. in the yeah, room yeah, next Which yeah. is fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't like yeah. tea and cake? Yeah. Um, I actually prefer that to yeah. whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah. Dumfries seemed to be a place that um, was where the guilt was maybe centred a little mm. bit because that had been the town that where he did died. neglected. Yes, yeah, and, and 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 he was yeah neglected. Mm. Well, the the burn the burn statue in in Dumfries um, was um, I think about the fourth of the of the of the statues which were erected after eighteen seventy seven, and and this um, group of statues had been. Or the idea had been launched at the 1859 celebrations when when it was when when the, a view had been taken that that Burns should be celebrated um, by celebrated rather differently than he had been in the first half of the, the 19th. He was being celebrated this time as the as a poet, as an independent man, as a man who articulated uh, many of the values which Scotland's new manufacturing and commercial classes wanted yeah. to, um, if you like, 
spread and, 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 and have people adhered to. And the first of those statues was erected in Glasgow, then there was one in, in um, Kilmarnock, and then Dundee, and then Dumfries. So uh, many sculptors, including Amelia Hill, were very keen to get a, get a commission for Burns, because Burns was such a huge figure by this time in Scotland's literary history, but also Scotland's political and social history, So, so and representing Scotland. So it was the big one to do, along with, say, William Wallace or Walter Scott. And Amelia Hill won the commission for Dumfries, and she didn't actually... She designed the, the, the statue. She didn't actually carve the statue. It was carved oh. in Italy um, Ooh, from, right. from from Carrera marble. Um, so it was carved in situ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, but but nevertheless, she designed it. Um, now it it was it was hugely well received at the time. As were all the statues, massive crowds. It's it's uh, one of the things I found fascinating about this whole Burns project was just the enormous enthusiasm and the extent to which. Hundreds of thousands yeah. of people turned out not only for for the centenary but for these unveiling events. Mm. So there was the, the 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 enormous enthusiasm for the statue when it was unveiled in the Fries, and it, as it is in white marble, it it kind of had a quasi-religious appearance right. and quality, and some of that is to be seen in in, in the photographs that, that that are in the book. But over time dissatisfaction grew with <laughs> these statues of mm. Burns, um, particularly amongst um, r- more radical Scots, if you like. As I'm talking now about the 1880s, 1890s. Um, there was a criticism by radicals, by nationalists. There was also criticism within the, um, the artistic community itself um, because they, th- there was a feeling that these statues were limited in the sense that they were portrait statues and they represented only a single aspect of Burns' mm. activity, that is, it, normally writing a poem. So normally you'll find, you know, well, not normally, but often you will find him holding a flower or a book or a pen. Mm. Uh, so this is Burns the poet. And there was this growing belief, um, which was based in, in actuality, that Burns was, was, was more than that. He was more than, mm. the, 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 than a nature poet or, 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 or a ploughman poet mm. even. Represented something else. So there's a growing criticism, and Amelia Hill's statue of Burns um, is, um, well, most of them were criticised, but um, it was particularly sa- badly it. savage. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think partly it's it would be improper these days. It was it's, it's, it's sexist. It was it was it was surprise, it was unfair. Surprise. You know, <laughs> because you know she he was she was accused of producing a womanly. Uh, Burns with with a twinkle in his eye. Well, of course she uh, would. <laughs> and 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 all other you know ephemera in, or if you want to call it, or image uh, objects in, in the statue like a mouse crawling up ah. uh, 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 up the stump of the tree. Um, there were um, pipes and various other objects there which were including a bonnet which were. Um, frowned upon by right. critics of this statue. As sort of being too thingy. Too thingy, yes, not, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not essential enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And so the statues that were approved of um, were those that were erected later on, which, um, for example, uh, dropped the necessity um, which for of all the earlier statues for it that Burns should look like the Naismith portrait. Yeah. Those criticism yeah. of the statues, again, it's... Sh- it just shows the push and pull of everybody yeah, that wants yeah. to claim them. Yeah, you know, exactly, every every yeah. criticism of the statues, every criticism yeah. of specific yeah. poems and yeah. specific aspects of Burns's yeah. character. It's all 
you know, everybody's got yeah. their own agenda yeah, where, yeah, it, where, yeah. It, where it comes to the representation yeah. of Burns. It is, that's true. And I, I think... I think it's important to understand that in the 19th century there are big forces capturing Burns. There's yeah. the Tories, yeah. there's the Liberals, the Radicals, the mm. Socialists. But now we're in the well, we're now in the 21st century, um, and Burns has now become pulled apart yeah. um, so that anybody can now have Burns. And I think one of the big differences between Burns now and Burns in the 19th century, mm -hmm. is this, that, that, that Burns in the 19th century is a, is a significant force in Scottish history. Mm. He matters, he's, 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 he's what I've said He seems book. to be the focal yeah. point yeah. of the issue that everybody yeah, was was wanting to talk about. Yeah, he, he's an agency. Um, he is no longer yeah. an agency. He's now a decoration. <laughs> Enormously important one, yeah. you know, for mm. Scottish tourism, mm. for getting people together. Uh, you know, every, we, it's a great celebratory occasion in mm. Scotland and, ac and across the world, in yeah. fact. You know, mm. nine million people, it's, it's, it's estimated to take part in Burns yeah. suppers and, and similar occasions at every time at this, at this time of year. Um, but, it, but he's also become cheapened, in a sense, as well. Do you think? Yeah. Um, uh, th you know, there's a, you know... Well, he's used to advertise haggis. Yeah. So there's almost a way in which um, the Burnsiana of the early 19th century, the mm. snuff boxes yeah. and the relics and the medallions yeah. and stuff, yeah. is sort of um, come full circle again. Yeah. And we're yeah. now in a shortbread tin yeah. Um, yeah. economy yeah. <laughs> with yeah. Burns. Whereas what you were tracing in the book mm. through the 19th century and early mm. 20th century is Burns as a mobiliser yeah. Yeah. of the yes. Scottish nation. That, Maybe that's exactly that, right. that's exactly that was a, a really yeah. important yeah. sort of... And a, and a, and a Mocklin wear box, snuff box or, or whatever, or, or a plate on the wall with, mm. with, with the Alloway, the Burns Cottage, would be a kind of quasi-religious relic. Yeah. Mm. You, 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 would, you would stop and, and look at it and take breath, yeah. maybe. Nowadays, it's it's not like that. It's on a shortbread tin and you open it. And it it's, yeah. it's, it's used to, you know, they're obviously used to sell tins of shortbread. And, but there was always a commercial element to yes. yeah. Burns. We, we shouldn't, you know, deny that, that, <laughs> that, that very early on. In fact, one of the reasons that, as you read in the book probably, one of the reasons that the Dumfries, one of the reasons the Dumfries mausoleum was, um, was, was erected was because it would attract visitors um, to the town. Yeah. So, so, you know, let's not right. exaggerate and so the civic pride as yeah. well as yeah. a boost to the local economy. economy. Yeah. They yeah. went hand yeah. in hand. Yeah. 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 Um, and of course, and I, I think, I suppose the other thing is it's essential to say in relation to, you know, worries about commercialisation and what mm. have you is that people are still, people throughout have had the had had burns on their lips or in the air. Yeah. You know, like yeah. songs and yeah. um, you know, I mean a poet survives on the breath of the people. That's what they would that's what yes. they would have said yeah. in the early nineteenth century. Yeah. Yeah, as long as you always if you go if you always go back to the poems mm. and that's what we've done with going yeah. back to the Kilmarnock yeah. edition, then then you can't you just you just can't forget the fullness yeah, yeah, of the yeah, man and the yeah, fullness yeah, of yeah, of his yeah, work. Exactly. Do you do you think um that there is such a thing as the one true Burns? Or do you think, you know, it's it's fine that there's all these many burns to many different people? I think it's fine. And and in fact, you know, at the end of the book I end up by by saying basically that despite all of this contest for Burns, uh, you go back 
to the poems mm. um, or the songs and you read them or you listen to them and you will find something new and you will find something exceptional, something brilliant, something yeah. stunning in there. Um, uh, and Burns should be, you know, um, appreciated, loved. <laughs> and, and, know, read. and read. <laughs> and and that's us for the very first edition of A Hitchhiker's Guide to Scottish Literature. Um, Christian and I would like to say a big thank you to Chris Watley and William Letford for their contribution. And uh, we'd also like to offer a thanks to Edward Crossan for his technical support and patience with all our questions. <laughs> um, next time, we'll be talking about Nan Shepherd's The Living Mountain and um, we hope you can, can join us for that. And we hope that you've enjoyed our wee taster of um, the Burns Kilmarnock edition. And it is a wee taster because we quickly realised that um, to talk about m many more of the poems would mean that we'd be sitting here for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, one of the things that we realised coming to read uh, this uh, very first collection of poems from Burns was that he should be seen... I think, not just as a poet standing alone as Scotland's bard, uh, but reading all the poems together makes it very clear how much he is a part of the romantic tradition. Absolutely. And that uh, this collection is responding to, uh, or, or initiating actually in, yeah. in some ways, um, things that will become characteristic of um, romantic poetry, particularly um, the later collection of Wordsworth and Coleridge's lyrical mm -hmm. ballad. Yep. But that Burns also belongs in a radical tradition um, that also contains Blake and Payne and Godwin yep. and Wollstonecraft. Yeah. And uh, we are really fascinated to read more about Scotland in the 1790s. Again. Yes, I'm really going to start investigating that more. Yeah, so maybe <laughs> next January. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> So with that in mind, ferment and all that kind of thing, we thought we'd end with another performance by William Letford. And we know this this um, poem is not and song is not strictly in the Kilmarnock edition, but we know you can't help but want to end with something rousing. So here is William Letford doing A Man's A Man. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye. A man's a man for all that. As dear for honest poverty that hangs his head and all that. The coward sleeve, we pass him by. We dare be poor for all that. For all that, and all that. Our toil's obscure and all that. The rank is but the guinea's stamp. The man's the gold for all that. What though on homely fare we dine, we're hodden grey and all that. Give fools our silks, and knaves their wine. A man's a man for all that. For all that, and all that, their tinsel show and all that. The honest man, though ever so poor, is king of men for all that. You see yon burkey called a lord, who struts and stares and all that. Though hundreds worship at his word, he's but a coof for all that. For all that, and all that, his ribboned star and all that. The man or independent mind. He looks and laughs at all that. The prince can make a belted knight, a marquis, duke, and all that. But an honest man's a boon might, good faith, 
He may not fought that. For all that, and all that, their dignities and all that, the pith of sense and pride of worth are higher rank than all that. Then let us pray that come it may, as come it will for all that, that sense and worth, o er the earth, shall bear degree and all that. For all that, and all that, is coming yet for all that, that man to man, the world o'er, shall brothers be for all that.